In Puerto Rico, they call themselves Boricua. But Boricua is more than a name for a person from Puerto Rico. It's a way of life that means embracing the beauty that surrounds you, seeking adventure no matter where it may lead, and sharing that vibrant spirit with everyone you meet. And you can experience all that warm, welcoming, passionate culture set in a tropical island paradise without the need for a passport for U.S. citizens or permanent residents. Learn more about how you can live Barigua at discoverpuertorico.com. In Puerto Rico, they call themselves Barigua. But Barigua is more than just a word to identify a person from Puerto Rico. It's a way of life that means embracing the beauty that surrounds you, seeking adventure, and sharing that vibrant spirit with everyone you meet. In Puerto Rico, you can experience a tropical paradise with world-class beaches. You can immerse yourself in the rich 500-year history of Old San Juan, where there are stunning forts, classic town plazas, and iconic monuments. You can indulge in a foodie paradise with renowned restaurants, seaside kiosks, and an innovative cocktail scene. And you can take in an abundance of natural wonders like El Yunque, the only tropical rainforest in the U.S. national forest system, all without the need for a passport for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more about the warm culture of Puerto Rico and how you can live Boricua at discoverpuertorico.com. What did you see in the cockpit? Men. Men? Men. And what? What else? What were they doing? They were driving a plane. Mm-hmm. Mom, I'm the pilot. Are you going to be a pilot? Yeah. And what will you do if you're a pilot? Just the plane. Very good. That adorable clip is of today's guest. Yes. I'm Aislinn Green, and this is Unpacked, the podcast that unpacks one tricky topic in travel each week. And this week, we are going to be hearing from Christoph Zajak Denick. Yes, the little boy you heard at the top of the episode. Christoph is a seasoned traveler and host of the podcast, I'm Kind of a Big Deal. Christoph also has a unique perspective on the world. He's four feet, four inches tall. And today he chats with our producer, Nikki Galtaland, who's making her unpacked debut about his love of travel and surfing, his intrepid mom, and how being a person with dwarfism has never stopped him from exploring the world. Nikki, welcome to Unpacked. It's so fun to finally have you here. Yes, I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Well, I'm I'm kind of curious to know how did you and Christoph meet? Because it sounds like you're friends. Yeah, yeah. So Christoph was actually one of the very first people I met when I moved to LA about two years ago. So we met at a radio and podcast meetup. He was there in his capacity as the host of I'm Kind of a Big Deal. And what struck you the most about his story or stories since there were multiple? (laughs) I think it was just the variety. Every time we met after that, I think I learned about a whole different career or a whole new chapter of his life where he had done something amazing. And I was really struck by how open he seemed to trying new things and meeting new people. And as we're going to hear in this episode, a lot of that, I think, can be credited to his parents, especially his mom, right? (laughs) Definitely. Yes, that was really fun in the process of just chatting with him for the 
episode just learning how much travel he did as a little kid. <laughs> yeah, and I love that we're going to hear these little snippets at different times of that. It's so sweet. It was honestly hard <laughs> to figure out which clips to pull because we have about an hour of recordings and he is that cute like the whole time. I love that. What is especially at that time like go mom. <laughs> right? I know. And recording it, I'm I'm impressed. My audio heart is like, "Yes." <laughs> Get, yeah. get that tape. <laughs> uh, well, he is, in addition to being such a like world traveler, he's a really accomplished guy. Could you just tell us a little bit more about him and his life and what he does? Yeah, definitely. So he hosts this podcast, I'm Kind of a Big Deal, where he interviews other people with dwarfism. And it's really good. He like does it all by himself. And it sounds great. So that's very impressive. But he's also a professional actor and travels all around for that. I learned that he used to be a stuntman, which is really cool. I also learned that he's a professional surfer. So he has two films that just came out in the Santa Barbara Surf Film Festival, like one sort of about him and another one that he's an editor on, I believe. Yeah, just just amazing. And he used to be a rock and roll drummer. Like he used to tour in a band as a drummer. Like it's (laughs) just like many careers, many cool artistic fun things. Yeah. He's done more in his life than I think many of us. I know. And it's so fun to see how the spirit of adventure is really the through line connecting all these different parts of his life. It was totally a treat to get to sit down with him and learn more about how and why he travels. I think it's a a fun interview and I'm excited for everyone to hear it. So let's get to it. Christoph Zajac Denik. It's wonderful to see you today. Thanks for being here and welcome to Unpacked. Oh, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm so excited to be on this episode with you. Amazing. So this is a travel podcast and I was hoping we could start with just a little bit about how you developed your appreciation for travel. I know you've done a lot of it in your life so far. Yeah, the appreciation for travel, I mean, it's from my parents. They were traveling me at a very young age. I mean, Also, travel was a necessity for me when I was two because I'm a little person. I'm four foot four. And when I was born in 1979, people had a lot less information about dwarfism and how to treat dwarfism. And so I'm from Detroit, Michigan, and my parents found a specialist in Baltimore, Maryland. So since I was two, I was driving, you know, as a passenger in the car from Detroit to Baltimore twice a year. How did your parents make it fun for you? I imagine those trips to Baltimore were not always exciting if you're going to see doctors. Yeah, I think we stopped along the way. There was SeaWorld. I think it was in Sandusky, Ohio. And I don't know, I wanted to work at SeaWorld so badly. I thought that was the coolest job to be swimming around with orcas and dolphins and I've always loved the water, so that's that's a huge thing for me too. So yeah, we we would make you know stops along the way, and then in Baltimore too, we would go to the aquarium, we'd go to the the harbor place. Baltimore has an amazing downtown, so the food is incredible. You know, you can't get fresh crab cakes in Detroit, Michigan, or maybe you can get them there, but they're probably not the ones that you want to eat. Baltimore has incredible seafood, and so you know, we just both of my parents liked nice food, nice things, nice experiences. And so that I got to benefit from that. And and it was great. It was cool. I love it. Good seafood in Baltimore, making trips to the doctor a little bit more fun. 
But I also have to think not all kids, especially as young as you were, are going to love crab cakes. So is there anything that your parents were doing to help encourage you to explore or get out of your comfort zone? Funny you ask that, Nikki. My mom came up with kind of like a barter points system. She always wanted me to try things. She really saw the value in bringing someone up, having a son that wouldn't be scared of new experiences and new things. And so as a child, probably, you know, four years old, I was offered points if I were to try something that was not conventional. So if my mom would order lobster or escargot or pate or something like that, that, you know, wasn't a burger and fries and melted cheese, if I wanted to try it, I could get 25 points or 50 points. It was arbitrary, whatever it was. And then if I ended up getting up to, you know, 500 points or a thousand points, my mom would buy me a toy or a Lego or, or something like that. So it was, it was also, you know, just such a great incentive for me as a kid, you know, something I care about. I can like trade this for some experience where I'm going to, I'm going to live if I put, you know, a shrimp in my mouth or, you know, a, a snail or something like that. And if I don't like it, I don't have to, but I could, trying it was, the, it, it was a win-win. That was another thing too, that again, when I would see my friends and they'd be afraid of foods that weren't exotic at all, you know, maybe if a chicken wasn't fried, but it was baked, they'd be like, oh, I don't, I, it's not fried. I don't want to eat it. And I'd be like, yeah, but it's chicken. Like it's it still tastes good. <laughs> Amazing. So how did that attitude about trying new things show up in your travel experiences? So my mom was a French teacher and she would take her class to Quebec or France or, you know, whenever they would go on trips. And I remember going to Quebec and I think the entire group ordered all these foods and some of her students wouldn't try the foods. And I was like, just mowing down on all this like <laughs> octopus and, you know, all these things that mm -hmm. her students were like, I don't, I just want French fries. That's all. I'm in <laughs> a French Canadian country. That's all I want. That's really funny. It seems like your parents were really excited to see you out and adventuring and exploring the world. Do you think that would have been different at all if you were average height? I do think it would have been different for me. I, I think going out as a as a little person especially when you're a child when you're 6 7 8 9 and you're with your mom or dad there are a lot of other kids that you encounter and even adults and my mom has talked about you know being by a pool in California and somebody coming up to her and talking to them about my dwarfism and stuff that she should do to better my life. So there are these really interesting scenarios where people feel like they want to give instruction or give advice or give whatever, whatever it is, you know, and, and I guess people mean well, but there's also a place and a time and, you know, a relationship bumpers, I guess, boundaries. That's what it is, mm -hmm. right? Boundaries. Mm -hmm. <laughs> relationship <laughs> bumpers. Um, <laughs> That's great. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so I think going out, it's always a huge confidence builder to kind of get through something like that and build the love for yourself, build the acceptance for yourself. 
And then when I would go out on my own, I think because I had watched both my parents, they're kind of both one man bands in their own right. And so I definitely took a lot of inspiration for that, whether I wanted to or not. It's just what I saw. Yeah, that makes sense. Tell me a little bit more about your parents. What was their relationship to travel like? Yeah, my dad worked for General Motors. He was a clay modeler, which is an incredibly unique and interesting profession. He's a supremely talented artist, and he also loved the ocean and sea. His favorite music is sea shanties, which I'm a musician. I've listened to so many different styles of music. I never heard or knew what sea shanties were until my dad like exposed them to me. It's like, well, now I've now I've heard everything, people. <laughs> my dad loved bluegrass music as well. And so we'd listen to the NPR station in Detroit and they played bluegrass on Saturdays, which is when I would be hanging out with my dad. And so I listened to a ton of blue bluegrass music, the Arkansas Traveler show. I I, I loved that. And I think sea shanties are kind of like the bluegrass of the ocean, right? Maybe. I don't know. I, I, I'm just, I'm just pulling that out of the air, but I think that could be, you know, the, the similarity there. I love that tying the music to the geographic <laughs> setting where you are in the world. It makes sense. Yeah, I, it's I get not, that. it's not, it's not wheat <laughs> that you're singing about. It's like open ocean or. Yeah, but yeah. it's still like a vast expanse of sort of waving something. There you go. <laughs> water grass yes i love that yeah um and how about your mom tell me a little bit more about her my mom was a she was a school teacher and she just she did everything on her own like if she had an idea or a thought to do something nothing would stand in her way she's so determined and she's so into having an experience and having like a brilliant experience she wants the the best experience for for everyone that's involved so she had the summers off just you know consummate explorer just always looking and seeking and and taking in cultures and my mom taught me to speak french before english as a baby so again like more culture from afar was just in my world in my ether and and just at home all the time that's awesome. So do you feel like you have picked up her sense of adventure and exploration? Probably. I think it's definitely a combination of, of both my mom and my dad. Yeah, for sure. My dad took me on these really amazing trips to across the U.S. when I was in my early teens, like 11, 12, 13, I think. And we went to the Badlands and the Grand Canyon and Nevada and just, you know, this huge circle that he wanted to show me. And then we also did a trip out East too, where we went to New York city and Massachusetts and Maine. And I didn't realize that other kids, other people didn't see this stuff. And so when I was 13 and I came home from this trip and I would tell my friends and they was like, what did you do? I just played in the yard for the entire summer. I'm like, Oh, I got to see South Dakota and Colorado. (laughs) It just seemed like, the logical thing that that you're supposed to do. It's just normal for your family. Yeah. So what are some ways you feel that being a person with dwarfism has maybe changed how you travel? It's a bit of a bummer because because I'm little, I, I do feel socially I've been stifled a little bit. And that's partially my own doing. And that's partially society being either afraid or, or wanting to 
look the other way. But also there was a part like once you get hooked on having experiences on your own and once they're so incredible that you're like, the last time I did that, I got in a situation and this wonderful thing happened and I don't think it would have happened if I would have been with someone else at this at this time, which, you know, looking back now, sometimes I'm like, I wish I would have had a, a partner or a friend or something like that be with me. But there have been so many times where I've just been somewhere and said, this probably couldn't have happened if I was with somebody. Like maybe we'd be in a hotel room eating food and watching television or something like that. You know, I, I don't know. Sure. And traveling on your own gets you out in the world more. Yeah. And and it it forces you to take a risk that you might not take or a risk that someone else might not want to take with you. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. So let's talk a little bit more about your travel experiences. I feel like you've traveled for so many different reasons. How did you get into drumming and what kind of travel have you done associated with that part of your life? Yeah, lots of traveling for music. The band bought its own van, which was amazing. And we just hit the road. And we're from Detroit, so everyone was comfortable driving in snow, long distances, you know, through the night, whatever. I I loved it. That was such a goal of mine is to be professional and play music. And then getting the chance to travel the country and eventually the world doing that, I just loved it because I met so many people. I've seen so many different places and weird ways, you know, from either from the stage or from the side of the road, getting stuck in almost avalanche conditions and freaking out at 2am that you might not make it to your destination. I'm really grateful to have had all of those experiences. And it, and again, it's, it, I think it just feeds that want and that drive for more. So I, I really enjoyed seeing the country and being on the road because again, because I'm little and I realized that I had my own protections up. So whenever I would go to a venue and I'd be loading my drums in at 4 p.m., you know, so that we could sound check, it was brought to my attention later on that like every time I do that, everyone in the bar is staring at me. And I don't realize it at all because that's just been my entire life. Everyone's always made comments or had looks or glares or stares or taken photographs or avoided me or whatever. And it just kind of felt like an extension of a road trip with my dad in a, in a sense, because, you know, there were times then too, when I obviously would be stared at or would garner a lot of attention. And I just had to find my own ways to to deal with it. So, but like playing music on the road was incredible. We played some massive shows, but we also played to no one. But it, that's, I don't know, it, that builds your character and you, you get that story from Fort Worth, Texas, when no one showed up and you had to fight for your $50 from the bar just so you could buy gas to get to the next place. I love that. If you're looking for a taste of something new, then I am excited to tell you about Foods That Matter, a new podcast that takes foodies to different corners of the world unlocking the secrets of the globe's most extraordinary cuisines. Join host and food archaeologist John Robert Sutton, also known as the Indiana Jones of food, on a culinary thrill across the world, where you'll gain deep insights into food culture, 
a better understanding of food origins, and learn how to discover these culinary treasures all on your own. Follow Foods That Matter wherever you listen to podcasts. Let's pivot a little bit to surfing. Tell me how... Let's pivot to surfing. How did you, as a kid in Detroit, fall in love with surfing? What, what happened there? I was born on the wrong coast, I think. I don't know. My mom would take me to Florida for Easter and spring breaks when I was in school. And we had family that lived in Florida. And so my mom loved to go to Captiva Island near Fort Myers on the Gulf Coast. And... You know, she'd go for the pool and tennis, and there was a beach there too. And there were surf shops around there. You couldn't really surf there, but there were surf shops. And I would just be obsessed with the image of somebody standing on a surfboard on a wave. I just thought it was the coolest thing. I also loved skateboard culture, which, you know, goes hand in hand with surf culture. In Michigan, I, if there was a skate shop, I would find it, I would be in it as much as I possibly could. However I could get there, I just wanted to be, I just thought maybe it's like a counterculture thing. And also maybe being somewhat of an outcast, a social outcast as well. Like maybe I identified with the folks that were riding skateboards or, you know, living that, I don't know how you want to describe that life. It's like, maybe it's a counterculture life, I, but I just love that. And then mix that with the water. That's my thing. Got to do it. And so one year I begged my mom to take me to Cocoa Beach. And so we went to Cocoa Beach and I rented a surfboard and it was probably the most dreadful surfing experience you could ever have. I think my surfboard was taking on water. I didn't know how to paddle it. I got caught in a rip current. I didn't catch any waves, but I loved it. I was like, I'm going to crack this nut. I want to ride a wave. I want to learn how to ride a wave, you know, and I surfed two days a year for like five years. <laughs> like, you know, not just dreaming in my, in my mom's basement with my surfer magazine subscription, you know, like once I got home from spring break, it was another 12 months until I could go into the Atlantic ocean again to try and surf for two days. I just, I don't know. I just, it, it was just skateboarding on water and I just thought it was so cool. That's a huge thing. When you don't have that social outlet, you, you seek out, acceptance in yourself or ways to boost your own confidence. And I think drumming and surfing or skateboarding, those were boosts to my confidence. They weren't social boosts to my confidence, but they were boosts to my confidence in just in my life, you know? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. When you were dreaming of surfing, were you normally thinking of going back to the same place or did you have like a travel list of all the different spots you wanted to hit? Oh my God. I had this VHS tape that somebody gave me of American Samoa. I I don't know how many times I watched it. I mean, it must have been 200 times, 200, 300 times. <laughs> I don't know. I would, and it was like a clip of like three minutes long of waves in Samoa. Yeah, I want to go to Samoa. Let's go. That's super cool. Of all of the different modes of travel you've done, is there a certain type of trip that is just your favorite? Oh, man. When it comes to modes of travel, travel's hard on my body these days. Yeah, tell <laughs> um, me about it. It just stresses a lot of muscles. and But I mean, I guess like going to New Zealand and 
Australia. I think that was maybe one of the best travel experiences because the plane was massive and the seats were massive and it was dark and so you could sleep and then you arrived and it was just this incredible new world. And maybe that's the the mode that's so great is is go really, really far in something that's very comfortable. <laughs> maybe that's what I want to get to now or do now is those types of situations. But I just still love, you know, I'll drive 12 hours or 16 hours and I don't mind that. I think it's really fun to drive across the desert and see how the desert changes in 12 hours of straight driving. It's It's just... It's magnificent, you know, it's so beautiful to see what it looks like from Texas to New Mexico to Arizona. It's so, it's, I just think that's, that's something that everyone should experience. It's really amazing just to have that, like that slow change, you know, in a car where you're just driving it and you see just all these different ways that the desert presents. Yeah, that is super cool. Can you do a little compare and contrast between driving and flying for you? What are the pros and cons? Flying is stressful on my body. It's a lot to move luggage in more frequent succession. Does that make sense? So I'm like moving my luggage from the plane to the the rental car to like across the airport, back to the plane, back to, you know, moving Mm -hmm. heavy stuff in higher frequency. That's that puts wear and tear on my body. And that's 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 tough. Sure. Definitely. Yeah. I think that's something a lot of people can probably relate to in some sense. Is that something that is of particular concern for you as a person with dwarfism? It is in a sense, but sometimes you just have to power through. I think it's hilarious. The airlines now will tell you that the flight attendants are not required to help you put your bags in the containers above the seats. I think maybe once somebody didn't want to help me, everyone else has helped me. It's, it's I don't show up and apologize for that. I'm just like, hey, can you help me with this? Or do I need to ask somebody else? Because it's fine either way. You know, it's I need that. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to climb and like risk my safety to do this. And and people just people just get it. And so that's that's one thing that I've I've noticed and found interesting. And I'm oftentimes I'm just really grateful because a lot of people just want to help. That's great. How would you say all of this travel has influenced you? I mean, travel just opens your eyes and opens your mind and exhausts you in sometimes the greatest ways, you know, I just, I love travel for so many different reasons. There was a point in my life where I, I went to Death Valley in Anza Borrego after a really difficult breakup and when I needed to just kind of reposition or recenter my life. And that was those trips. I still reflect on those today, even though they were relatively short trips, like three or four days. I just explored so much. I got myself lost. I got my heart going. I hiked by myself when you know, it said that there were rattlesnakes and mountain lions that were probably around. Sometimes I think you just have to do that to reconnect with nature so that you're not just in this, at least myself anyway, speaking to myself, you're in this, you know, stifling, familiar world, these surroundings that are just almost predictable to you. And I, I, that helps me so much to get out and be surprised. And, and it was funny when I was on those trips and I was hiking and just 
jumping or clambering up rocks or going down steep places or I grabbed the camera and I was shooting astrophotography at 3 a.m. It's like, this is getting my heart going in a way that it hasn't been like this in a, in a while. And I think that's just so important. And that can really come from travel. I know that a lot of your work and your podcast relates to advocacy and, and normalizing experiences that little people have. Why do you think it's important to have representation of more different types of people in the travel industry? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's so important to see different bodies wherever you go. It's amazing to see just any different bodies when when you're traveling around. I think it's so important to see little people and for little people to feel like they belong in a travel situation. Myself, I'm very fortunate. I am physically able enough to, to travel in the way that I'm able to travel. And a lot of folks, I think it might be more difficult for them to, to move their bags or to walk across an airport. You know, assistance is probably going to be beneficial for them. And oftentimes that stuff is overlooked or just passed over and, and it's not really considered. And I think that filters into that filters back to us. You know, I, th- I think when you don't see people that you identify with or that should be represented in these in these spaces, you, you forget that they even exist. And if you don't offer up the visibility for people who are different to be able to do these things, they oftentimes feel like they don't belong or that it's not for them. And, and you know, my mind is as curious as anybody else's mind. And I believe that of all the people who look like me. I think just because our bodies are different, I I don't want that creativity or that sense for exploration to be stifled or quieted. I think it's, you know, it should be enhanced because also at the same time, as much as I want to see things, I think it's very important for people to see me getting around, moving around the space, knowing that there are people that look like me in all of my baldness as well. Uh, out in in the world and doing the things that they love because they've they feel okay to do the things that they love and they found out that they love it just from from trying it awesome do you have any words of advice or wisdom for someone who maybe feels like travel isn't for them or is a little hesitant to get out and explore yeah my advice for anybody who might be tentative to explore listen to my mom you know what i mean like if you're not going to listen to your mom listen to my mom Christoph, just get, just try it, you know, just get out there and try it. Just it's it might be for you. You don't know. But if you do try it, then you'll know. I think so many amazing things can come from travel and from putting yourself in new situations. You know, don't do stuff that's not safe, but do stuff that gets your heart going a little bit and, and opens your eyes and, and makes you sit in bed thinking about other cultures or the way other people do things instead of just like looking at it on your phone. I I think having that real life experience and seeing it for yourself and then having the ability to contemplate later on what all this means to other people, I think is really important. Thank you so much, Christoph. We just got word that Standing on Water, the documentary about Christoph surfing and dwarfism was awarded best short at the jersey surf film festival such exciting news we'll link to the doc in our show notes along with christoph's website if you'd like to learn more 
And when Nikki isn't working on Unpacked, she produces a sci-fi Western role-playing podcast called Looters. You can subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. We'll link to that site in our show notes as well as Nikki's website. Before we go, let's hear one more clip from Kristoff's Travel Archives. What did you do in the pool? This swim all by myself. Where did you go all by yourself? I just went under. Oh, you went under all by yourself? Yeah. Oh, did you like the ocean? Uh, no, I didn't like the ocean. Pourquoi? I love the ocean. Ready for more unpacking? Visit afar.com and be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We're at Afar Media. If you enjoyed today's exploration, I hope you'll come back for more great stories. Subscribing makes this easy. You can find Unpacked on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to rate and review the show. It helps other travelers find it. This season, we also want to hear from you. Is there a travel dilemma, trend, or topic you'd like us to explore? Email us at unpacked@afar.com. This has been Unpacked, a production of Afar Media. The podcast is produced by Aislinn Green and Nikki Galtaland. Music composition by Chris Collin. And remember, the world is complicated. We're here to help you unpack it. <laughs>